Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Assuming that's you as well? Yes. I'm Patrick. Fantastic. This is my voice. I guess uh, before we start uh, discussing different topics, um, if you could say a little bit about yourself, we'll start with Tony um, and your background and your connection to theurgy and uh, your published works, your workshops, you know, how you are. Um, actively part of the tradition of keeping the golden thread of antique truth-seeking alive in this uh, day and age. Are you up to it, Tony? Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear us? Yeah. Sorry about that. I'm I'm having problems with my phone. Um, I I only have two books out compared to um, some of the other people on this panel. Um, I've written about Greco-Egyptian magic where I've delved into the Greek magical papyri and um, the spells in the Greek magical papyri lend themselves very well to the practice of theurgy and I have also delved into the practice of ancient Greek religion 
which I see as the foundation, the bedrock on which the tradition of theurgy stands. So it's been a passion of mine for the last two decades, and I feel very honored and blessed to be in such distinguished company this evening. And we're honored and blessed to have you uh, among us. I'm a big fan of uh, your work, as you know, and both of your works are uh, phenomenally excellent. So uh, thank you. And then we'll go on to Bruce. Uh, hello. Um, I, um, um, I guess I should probably say that most of my uh, work in the theurgy area has been done under my pen name, John Optopeus. And so I've been involved in the um, neo-pagan community um, actively since about the early 1990s, I guess. And um, I, um, that's a lot of the work I've done in, in Hellenismos and in the uh, Greek magical traditions and in Neoplatonism uh, has been um, published under, under that name. And um, recently had a book come out called The Oracles of Apollo, um, teaching some ancient, authentic ancient Greek divination systems. Um, in terms of theurgy, though, my um, major book on theurgy, The Wisdom of Hypatia, was um, uh, published under my name, Bruce McLennan. And so, uh, because I wanted that to, you know, be known a little bit wider than just the uh, neo-pagan audience, and um, so that's pretty much what I've been doing. I've been I've been uh, working on understanding ancient Greek religious and well, religious and magical traditions for the past several decades, and in uh, uh, working them into my own life, and then also helping to uh, teach them to others as a as a living spiritual tradition. And not only have you written uh, your published works, but you have uh, two websites that are encyclopedic in scope. They have so much information there that uh, uh, one can explore them for months and still have a lot more to explore. Yes, thank you. Um, Bruce, uh, Bruce, thank you very much. And uh, now I'd love to meet Patrick. Greetings, uh, Patrick. Uh, the staff of Zeus is yours. Please uh, introduce yourself and your connection to theurgy and your published works. The staff of Zeus, that sounds like a lot of responsibility. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a linguist by trade, if that is a trade. And uh, so a lot of my approach is about uh, language and symbols and semiotics and so forth. Um, I've got um, I'm not sure how many published books now. Let's see. Um, my postmodern magic came out in 2005, I want to say. Um, and then I also have a book, Magic Power Language Symbol, which gets into the semiotics of magical practice. Um, I have a pretty forgettable book on cardomancy. And then um, the books more connected to surgery are um, uh, my book on surgery, which is, uh, uh, oh, what did we title that? I can't remember the names of my own books. That's a bad sign, isn't it? Um, I, I have your book, and I've read it, and I can't the remember the title. The Practical Art of Divine Magic. Magic. Okay, there we go. The Practical yeah. Art of Divine Magic, yeah. Um, and so uh, I'm pretty proud of that one. Um, and then my latest book that just came out, uh, I believe it was last October, is a translation of the Orphic Hymns from Greek to English, along with some notes for, for you know, practice surgic practice and magical practice with, with the hymns. So uh, 
that's kind of what I've been writing. Um, I've been practicing, you know, since childhood, I suppose. Um, it's very exciting to be on the show with, with Tony and Bruce because, uh, uh, well, I, I recommend Tony's book more often than I recommend my own. And, um, and as far as Bruce goes, I, his website was formative in, in college for me going through that. And as you said, it's encyclopedic. So I spent years on that website probably. Wow. Okay. That, that is fantastic. And it seems that we're all uh, fans of you guys. So that's a fantastic, uh, a fantastic uh, thing. Um, now, in the past shows, we started to touch on the topic of uh, um, theurgic activism, uh, which is basically um, taking uh, theurgy beyond uh, uh, knowledge and beyond practice and into uh, uh, application into today's uh, society. Um, uh, Patrick, I'm assuming you're new to this topic or are, are you familiar with that uh, as well? I, I've seen things about it, you know, but yeah, I'm, I'm fairly new to it. Okay, awesome. And I guess uh, we'll, to uh, fill that out a little bit, we'll start with Tony again, because Tony's been a part of uh, most of those uh, conversations. Sometimes it's just me and Tony discussing these things. Uh, Tony, how would you define theurgic activism, and, and uh, uh, what are you doing to remain active uh, in our day and age? Um, it's, activism is basically performing various actions in order to correct things which need to be corrected in the society that we live in. So obviously at the moment issues are things like the, the need for, for gender equality, um, fighting for the environment, um, uh, addressing the, um, the, the issue of, um, of, of the Amazon and other areas burning. Um, the Amazon, after all, is the, um, the, the lungs of the planet. And so we can use the normal techniques that people use in order to engage in activism, but then we also have the option of calling in the gods. And actually, over the last month, um, I've had the privilege of being with two different groups of people, and I was able to perform invocations to funnel towards that end. So on August the 24th, I went to Bolsa State Beach with the Temple of Isis at Long Beach, who are headed by High Priestess Anitra Ravenmoon, and they have an annual beach ritual. So during that ritual, they invoked a number of deities, specifically Aphrodite, Mary Magdalene, Kuan Yin, Isis of the Boats, Yamoya Maniwata, and Olokun. Um, I was asked to call in Poseidon because we tended to go for a watery theme, but at the last minute, I was given permission to perform an invocation to Zeus to ask him to send rain to the Amazon and Africa and other places that are affected by fires. So it was great to be in the presence of a group of people so that we could channel our energies towards a, um, uh, a very useful end. And then on September the 8th, I got together with the Southern California Temple of the Hellenic Gods. They call themselves Theasos Phoibos, and okay. they meet at the house of Dean Cameron and Peter Thomas. And every few months, they have offerings to various gods. So in this case, they had an offering to Hades, 
And apart from offering Hades, they also off, they also honored Persephone, Dionysus, Demeter, and Hermes. And I asked if I could do um, an offering to Kerberos, otherwise known as Cerberus, or to readers of the Harry Potter books, Fluffy, the <laughs> the, the, the three-headed guardian of um, of Hades. So again, it was the, it was the same sort of thing. I was looking at targeting. Um, an entity in order to, um, in this case, I was focusing on preventing the riches of the Amazon area from being liberated because there are a number of reasons why the Amazon's being, by the Amazon's being burnt. Um, they want to pull out oil, they want to pull out gold, and then once the forest has been cleared, they want to um, pasture cows. So basically, all of that has an underworld connection in in my estimation. I just thought I could work in an offering to, to Cerberus. So, um, and in a couple of weeks time, I'll be involved in Pagan Pride Day where I will be giving a talk on the Olympian gods. And I always like to have a bit of a show and tell, so there'll be a short invocation there. And again, I'm going to be asking participants to channel their energies towards improving the dire situation we find ourselves in from an environmental standpoint. Awesome. And uh, in, in addition to being known as a fluffy to moderns through the Harry Potter books, Gerberos, the word itself means spotted. So uh, the hound of Hades is spot. <laughs> and I, I always thought that was uh, phenomenally uh, amusing and well worthy of uh, meditation or three. Absolutely. I think it's so cool that, that Hades should be so good-natured as to call his dog Spot. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you, Tony. Uh, Bruce? Yeah, good. Yeah, I, that's fabulous, Tony. I mean, that's an incredible amount of stuff you're doing. Um, I uh, did our, our local Pagan Pride Day here this past weekend, and um, I opened a workshop on um, – uh, use of the uh, ancient Greek alphabet oracle, and with a, I opened it with a with an invocation of of Apollo, very appropriately, I think. Um, I think you know one of the main contributions that that theurgy has, I, I, as I see it, is it, it it puts us in contact with the gods. So as as Tony said, calling in the aid of the gods, I think, is very important, and um, also. Uh, getting advice from the gods, even on very practical matters of activism, you know what are the what are the issues we should be concentrating on? What are the strategies we should be using? I think theurgy can be very useful in giving us um, guidance in that kind of way. And then the other thing we've talked about some in the past, I think theurgy as a spiritual practice just helps us maintain our equilibrium and our energy. Uh, uh, in the face of what are often um, very difficult struggles, and so it's uh, it's uh, you know just a tool also for for helping to to strengthen us uh, spiritually as we go about various sorts of um, um, you know what we're trying to make the world a better place. And that's oh. uh, a lot of what I do use it for. Thank you very much. And Patrick? Well, uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a recluse, so I'm not spending a lot of time at festivals. Um, but uh, I think, like, you know, as Tony was saying, it's, it's 
for me, it's about the development of kindness. And I think a lot of what is missing right now um, in public policy, not just in America, but all over the world, is a sense of, of you know, basic human sympathy and kindness. Um, you know, I think of, of recent uh, statements that have come out about the homeless, which is an issue that's near and dear to my heart um, in, in San Francisco. It's just it, it doesn't recognize their essential humanity. You know, and I think of I think of the principle of Xenia, right, the principle of kindness to the stranger. Um, we seem to lack that. And I think one of the benefits of Thurgy is uh, I know I have developed that more in myself. Um, I am a kinder person than I used to be. Uh, because of Thurgy. I'm not always nice, but then again, niceness is not always the same thing as kindness. Um, mm-hmm. But I am, uh, I'm a lot kinder, a lot more sympathetic to people who, uh, who need it, which is everyone <laughs> basically needs kindness right now. So for me, that's kind of the, 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 the practice. Um, as far as public activism goes, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to hear ideas about how to use Thurgy to to affect those changes because those are changes that I want to be part of affecting. And, uh, it's, you know, on the personal level, it has helped me. It'd be interesting to hear more about the, how it helps on the public level. Wow. Thank you. Um, and, uh, you're right. Uh, we, as a society in this uh, day and age, we lack, uh, uh, you know, we lack that, uh, um, sense that the, the person that we're addressing, even if they are homeless or look homeless, might be a deity in disguise. Uh, mm, and exactly. uh, while I was young, I actually had an experience where I was, uh, uh, I was a deep trance medium for a theosophical spiritualist uh, type uh, group that, you know, eventually that type of group became the template for what is being called uh, the new age. But back then uh, it didn't have a name and uh, uh, it did, however, um, encouraged the study of the ancient wisdom as understood. And one time I was in a, a park uh, on my way to channel and I used to smoke very heavily back then. I was a teenager and uh, I started uh, speaking with a man who appeared uh, homeless and he smelled homeless and uh, uh, he, uh, um, you know, basically didn't look like the type of person that you would want to uh, uh, speak to or be near, but I felt inside a sense that, you know, this person too is a divine uh, spark. So uh, we had a conversation. We conversed for a good long uh, time and he came and sat next to me. I offered him cigarettes and, you know, we had a conversation. Uh, and at one point he said that uh, why he wanted, he was curious, why am I speaking to him? You know, because people generally avoid him. And I told him, well, uh, you know, I'm Greek <laughs> and we believe that uh, the people that you're talking to might be divine beings. So we're not quick to dismiss anybody. But I said inside, I felt the sense that even though he might not be going through a very good uh, time in his life, that, uh, you know, th- there was something there, some, some light or something. And that person then transformed before my eyes and he was no, he no longer appeared as a derelict and uh, uh, he was well-dressed and uh, he told me that I did well to honor ancient traditions and to trust uh, my inner senses rather than my uh, outer senses. And I knew right then and there that this was Hermes. And although Hermes uh, did not always take the same guise, Hermes has come to me in the waking world and in dreams in much the same way in different guises uh, uh, that are 
instructional in, in how they appeared. So I believe very strongly in that uh, ancient uh, tradition. Um, what I try to do with uh, my theurgic practice is to serve the gods through their spheres. So, for instance, one of Hercules' spheres, the Hercules of old, uh, was exercise and physical fitness. He's said to have started the Olympic Games. So I support um, physical fitness and wellness in my uh, community. So in addition to the exercise that I do, I, I share what I do and encourage people. Uh, I created shows where people who know a hell of a lot more than I do can share their wisdom and insight uh, with people uh, listening. Uh, and I'm now the champion of the Tenafly Mayor's Wellness Campaign, and I'm the chairman of the Access for All Committee. So I get to make decisions and take actions that will uh, affect uh, the wellness of my community even more. So that's just one example. There, I... I um, I honor many gods, uh, but that's how I do my theurgy. And um, my theurgy, I'm learning a lot through uh, uh, the panelists that we have here. Um, Theosophia means divine wisdom or divine insight, and theurgia means divine deeds. So um, the way I've understood and practiced theurgy um, through much of my life and uh, taking it past what I learned in parochial school was uh, expanding my knowledge and then applying it by trying to get more divine insights and to perform more divine uh, acts. So that, that's kind of my take on it. Now I shared how I uh, encountered uh, Hermes and Hermes is one of uh, my frequent uh, um, divinities. Uh, how did you guys first experience Hermes? How do you experience him now? Um, actually, that was an absolutely amazing story about how you encountered Hermes. And I don't think I can top that. All I can say is that there are <laughs> numerous traditions in, in the ancient world that talk about the importance of hospitality. And by being hospitable, people have, have entertained gods or angels, or the um, or Enoch, who um, apparently didn't die but rose again. I basically honor Hermes through through um, either rituals from the Greek magical papyri, or sometimes I use the Orphic hymns. And I should point out that that Patrick has produced an absolutely wonderful and very usable yeah. translation of the Orphic hymns which can be used. And just going off on a tangent for a second, one of the things that I absolutely love about Patrick's book is that whenever I've dipped into the Orphic hymns, I basically look at who the hymn's dedicated to and I see it as a way of targeting that particular God. Patrick does that, but he also goes one further. He talks about what the hymns are actually aiming at. So if there's a particular need that you have in your life, he has the more cross-referenced. So rather than looking at a particular God, you can look at the theme of a particular hymn and then choose the hymn that you need appropriately, which is a really cool way of, of, um, of working with the, um, with the Orphic hymns. And I can see it taking off in a, in a huge way. Um, it's given me a, another way of, um, of, of looking at the, um, at the Orphic hymns. But the, really amazing thing about the god Hermes is that in many respects 
he is the God of this age. If you think about the, the two things that characterize this age, there's communication, we have the internet, the, um, the, the information superhighway, so we're able to access information on just about everything. And that was one of the primary functions of Hermes. And the other thing that Hermes was aspected to was travel. And we can travel from one end of the world to the other end of the world. Like, for instance, if I wanted to travel from L.A. to my hometown of Sydney, it's 17 hours for direct flight. 17 hours to get to the other side of the world. It's absolutely amazing. It's mind-blowing. Back in the day, you would have needed weeks on, on a boat to, to, to travel that far. So Hermes has actually elevated in importance in, in this day and age. He's also um, a, a god of wisdom as well, um, apart from being a psychopomp. I think he's an incredibly important god to work with. He's always been important to, um, to, to magicians and to alchemists, but I think he's gone far more mainstream given, given the internet and given the international travel that, that is available to us. Yeah, yes, most certainly so. And the Arbitel uh, uh, identifies this as the age of uh, Hermes as well, you know, in terms of how they determine their calculations and uh, which of the Olympic spirits has uh, uh, influence uh, over the Earth. And uh, I don't remember what Hermes is called in the Arbitel, but this, it, this is definitely his uh, time. Cool. Ophiel, if I remember correctly, right? It's Ophiel in the Arbitel? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I, I think it's Ophiel, isn't that? Yes, uh, that sounds about yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Hermes has a, a – he's not just on my – I have a shrine set up in my house, of course, because every surface becomes a shrine eventually. Um, and he's not just on my shrine. He's actually got his own separate shrine <laughs> in my house because, of course, words are so important in my life that, that I have to have a separate shrine for Hermes. Uh for all of us, I'm sure every every free surface becomes a shrine in a very short period of time. <laughs> <laughs> and every vertical surface a bookshelf. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I contact Hermes just about every day because uh, he's my go-to guy for finding parking places. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with parking fairies? <laughs> well, maybe maybe he sends the parking fairies to do it, but you know, works anyway. <laughs> that that is awesome, and, and that shows the extent to which uh, the Olympians are part of our lives, and uh, that is something that doesn't always come across when we discuss uh, our spirituality, but. Um, all of us, and just about every I've met who is on this type of path, uh, the gods aren't just something that, that are in the heavens or under the ground or in the trees. Uh, the gods are everywhere, both inside of us and outside of us, and we interact with them as we would any uh, living being. Uh, they're alive and they're real, and uh, um, they don't just listen. They answer back, each in their own way. And I, in my experience, uh, with Hermes especially, synchronicities are like one of the chief ways of uh, uh, communication. If I request something or if I inquire about something, uh, I'll get a synchronicity uh, very quickly that will give me my answer. 
Absolutely. And, you know, let me also mention that, you know, I think this is the broader meaning of theurgy that is one of the reasons it's so important is it does bring things that we think of as spiritual into the material world. So, I mean, in theurgy, we're both using material uh, objects and uh, physical actions as a way of contacting the divine. But then we're also expecting uh, to have action back in the material world and for us also to fulfill things as a result of our theurgical operations. We get jobs to do, we make uh, vows and commitments, and as a result, we have to take uh, physical actions. So I think it's a much more intimate connection with what we think of as the material plane, if you like, than we often get with other sorts of spiritual practices. And I think that's an important, important message for our time. Oh, most certainly so. And since uh, uh, I admire your books and I use your books uh, to run uh, my classes, I have like long running workshops uh, um, and uh, your books have become on the required reading list or the recommended reading list. uh, uh, And I've asked this before, but since Patrick is new and uh, we are using his Orphic hymns, uh, I would like to ask uh, each of you your published writings uh, in this particular sphere of uh, uh, theurgy um, or Moss, how would you like your books ideally to be used? And uh, also, we've spoken about this in the past, uh, my students would love to talk to you guys directly and ask you questions, you know, uh, coming from the readings of the books. Um, I can arrange that starting in October uh, if you would like, and uh, then we would have a choice uh, on the shows that we have the, the the forum. We could either have the forum, or we can do a segment. If not, a lot of us are here called "Know Your Theurgist," in which you know we really go in depth uh, with you and your life uh, work, and then also uh, which uh, we started uh, a little bit about the theurgic activism. So we have some flexibility now in in the shows and uh, an opportunity for more interaction from uh, a class that loves your books. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we'll start with uh, Tony again. Um, Tony, um, how would you like your book, Elimus Moss, uh, to be used? I see Hellenismos as a foundational text for, for theurgy, and probably the best analogy that I can come up with is if you look at the Kabbalah, the Kabbalah springs out of the Torah, you know, the, the Old Testament writings. And the thing is that the Kabbalah um, can work in isolation, but by seeing it in context of the fertile ground out of which it sprang, it's far more powerful. And in much the same way, you can practice theurgy on its own, but by having an understanding of the Hellenic bedrock from which it sprang, I believe that theurgy becomes far more powerful. There are certain practices in theurgy which make more sense once you have a better understanding of how the ancient Greeks venerated their gods. And you'll see that theurgy is a natural development from the various techniques of worship that the ancient Greeks used. So that's basically how I'd like to see my book used. Uh, And it's a great companion book to Brandy's uh, For the Love of the Gods. 
um, yes. which uh, you know, provides a slightly different understanding. But between both books, they give you a great context and a great overview uh, upon which uh, you can build. Now, Greco-Egyptian Magic, right now it's a recommended uh, book, um, but I'm going to be interviewing Stephen Skinner uh, soon when his new book is released, and uh, I'm reading through techniques of Greco-Egyptian Magic. Uh, so uh, your book is going to come into your book on Greco-Egyptian magic uh, will also be used uh, uh, at that time. Uh, what do you call it? It's a, it's a good way to start the practice. So um, any suggestions on how we can best use that book as I'm putting together the curriculum for this new class? Um, Stephen Skinner's book is, is actually quite amazing. It sprang out of his doctoral thesis. And what he did was that he used, he focused on particular words in the, um, in the Greek magic papyri that have very specific senses, specific meanings from a magical standpoint. Um, the argument being that when translators would translate from, from Koine Greek into English, they might sometimes take liberties. They just come up with a particular word that it lacked the sort of precision that you need for, for magical practice. So he would look at the, um, the keywords, identify exactly what they meant. So it's, I see his book as a wonderful companion text for working with the Greek magic papyri because it gives you a greater degree of precision in understanding specific technical terms in the Greek magic papyri. I think that's its, that's its main function. Um, Stephen's an amazing guy. I've had um, I've had the privilege of meeting him a couple of times. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, actually, I had um, an experience where we spent the day at the Getty Villa. They have um, gold Orphic tablets there, so that's basically what we wanted to look at. But going through the Getty Villa is fun anyway. But to have someone of like mind, someone who shares your passion makes it that much more special so to to spend a full day with someone of his caliber was was an incredible treat so i caught up with him with him in vegas had dinner with him there and then i spent a day with him at the getty villa and then he gave a talk at a metaphysical store in north hollywood called the green man so i went along to that talk as well and his talk was very well received i might add he spoke to a packed room and everyone wanted to hear what he had to say. He's a very prolific writer, very knowledgeable. He's, he's another, another expat from Sydney. We went to the same university. He's a couple of years older than me. We went through the same magical order in Sydney that just about everyone went through, the Order of the Golden Phoenix. Um, so it's like we had all these – we were like – on parallel paths, but a few years apart. So I never met him back in Sydney, even though we did many of the same things. But absolutely lovely guy, really knowledgeable. You will thoroughly enjoy having him on a store, uh, sorry, on, on your show and uh, I'm picking his brains. Um, he's not going to be on the show because he's currently uh, on the other side of the globe and it will be difficult to coordinate uh, this. I'm going to interview him. Uh, by email, the way is to do it before I had the uh, show. And I open that up uh, to you guys as well. If you'd like, um, I can send a questionnaire. Uh, we can, you know, you guys can fill it up and I could uh, create like web pages 
uh, and this way it's something that people could link to and uh, and find, and uh, it's a lot easier than trying to find uh, the information on the podcast. So uh, I'll put that on the table as well as something we can talk about and explore. Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm open to anything. I, I assume the other guys are as well. Very cool. Uh, absolutely. Uh, um. Bruce, um, what? How would you like your books to be used, both in the current theurgy uh, uh, workshop and also in the new workshop that's going to be about Greco-Egyptian uh, uh, magic, for the most part? Well, uh, I'll talking primarily about uh, the wisdom of Hypatia. Uh, that is intended to be a uh, progressive system of, uh, of practice, and so. Um, I, I guess the way I would primarily hope people would use it would be to not just read it, but to work their way through it and um, try out the various sorts of practices. It's uh, structured around a number of spiritual practices, of, of all with uh, precedence in the ancient world. And, um, you know, that, that's really the way they'll get the benefit of the book is to do that. Um, as you know, I, I also structured it as uh, three degrees, uh, yes. which uh, basically correspond to Epicurean, Stoic, and Neoplatonic philosophy. And the reason I did that is, um, you know, I think all of us have been in, in this community long enough to see there's a lot of kind of ungrounded people, that people will go off into various sorts of spiritual practices or magical practices in a very ungrounded way, and um, it can it will either not benefit them very much, or it uh, can um, even be detrimental. And so, I think it's very important to build a solid foundation of um, essentially learning to live well on Earth uh, before um, you know getting involved in extensive theurgical practices. And this is why we have initiations and degree systems and magical orders and all of these other sorts of things. Uh, the correct reason, I think, for them is to try and lead people through a progressive system and uh, judge when they're ready to, to move on. So what I've tried to do is, is to build that into the book and to, um, you know, different people will come to the book at different places depending on what they've been doing previously in terms of uh, spiritual practices or, or just their own kind of, of development. And um, so I, it's nominally uh, a nine-month program, but that's very flexible because some people will be already well-advanced in it. Um, some people will be able to put more time into it and work more quickly through it. Other people, you know, will, will work, will take years to go through it, and that's, that's fine. Um, so that's what I would hope they would do, though, is to engage with it seriously, you know, to uh, really build a lot of the practices into their daily life. And, um, you know, ancient philosophy was a way of life. And that's what I, yes. what I the way I hope people would, would treat it is as this is a new way to, to live, a better way to live. And um, then I think, you know, uh, the theurgical practices fit into this in a very in a very neat sort of way and really uh, serve to enrich the, uh, the overall uh, spiritual life of a, of a person. So that's what I would say, you know, actually do it, practice the practices and, um, you know, um, take them seriously and devote some time to them. 
The and other, you know, recent book I had at least. Uh, I just got to say the other book is, you know, it's uh, divination is. Um, in fact, I have the quote in it: "Divination is at the heart of Greek religion." And of course, uh, Iamblichus also said that that divination was central uh, to theurgy. And so, um, you know, I think that, you know, most of us should have one or more divinatory practices. And um, but that's that's, you know, just something that that I think is another technical skill that can get added on um, in parallel uh, to uh, to theurgy. And so that's the way my other book is. I think it's it's useful to give some background on ancient Greek divination teaches two actual, um, you know, practical ancient techniques. And um, um, I would suggest people, especially that are, you know, that are interested in the Greek pantheon, um, you know, if they feel like runes don't quite fit or tarot doesn't quite fit or I Ching doesn't quite fit, that, uh, you know, they might investigate some actual ancient Greek uh, divination systems, which are the, you know, the systems that are, our ancestors did use in communicating with the gods. And they're both very elegant and easy uh, to use. Uh, in fact, uh, we decided in our living uh, theurgy group uh, to uh, use the Delphic maxims, uh, that form of divination, uh, to open up uh, our, our meetings. That you know, Basically, we would get chrigoma uh, from the gods uh, um, when we start off our meeting. And uh, um, we're like with uh, Patrick's uh, book on the Orphic Hymns. We're doing a little tweaking so it resonates more powerfully with with what we're happening to do. The same thing with some of the Orphic uh, hymns; they're being rewritten a little bit. Um, but uh, we're going to be using that system, and it was greatly inspired uh, and informed by uh, your book. And I agree, divination is very uh, important. Uh, in my private life, I use dreams and synchronicities primarily. Uh, for for mm-hmm. divination purposes. Wow, Great. Pat, how about you? Uh, well, uh, my first, well, I mean, I have two books on surgery. So the Divine Magic book, I deliberately wrote that with kind of a breezy, um, almost humorous style because I wanted it to be accessible. Rather mm-hmm. than you know, there's a problem with people taking things too far, you know, and being a little ungrounded. And then there's a problem with people very much taking everything as if it is sacred and can't be touched. And the gods are sacred, but one of the distinctions between pagan deities and, and, you know, other kinds of deities is that they can be touched, sometimes quite literally. You you can, you can interact with them. Right. And so, um, and I think they have a sense of humor. I hope they have a sense of humor because otherwise I'm in deep trouble. Um, <laughs> so I wrote that book that way as a deliberate effort. And also I have a hard time taking anything too seriously for too long, but I wrote it that way as a deliberate effort because I wanted people to come to it from a lot of different backgrounds and take something out of it. Not necessarily even, you know, from a Hellenic background or even a Hellenic practice. Um, I mean, there's stuff in there that Wiccans can take out. There's stuff in there that, that Christians can use. And, and, and I mean, historically did, of course, you know. Um, so basically to answer the question in brief, however you want is good, good by me. Um, you know, however you want to use the book is, is fine. Um, but, I, you know, ideally I would want someone to, to work through that and, and, 
do it with an idea that they're going to improve their life. I mean, one of the themes I hit in that book again and again is, you know, if it's not improving your life, it's not surgery. You know, if right. I see a lot of people who stress out, like, did I offend Hermes or did I offend someone? Well, you didn't. No, they're, being offended is a human failing. They're not offended. You know, stop stressing. You're not improving your life by stressing out about such things. You might have disconnected yourself from that God, but that's a different matter entirely and a lot easier to fix. Uh, <laughs> as far as the Orphicans go, I'm very happy to hear that you're tweaking them. Um, they're, they're eminently tweakable. Uh, I wrote that book again for a, kind of a broader audience. Um, so obviously it's mostly being bought and used, it seems, by people practicing Hellenic paganism, which is great. Um, but I also included stuff in there that people from other traditions could use. I mean, there's even some folk magic stuff in there, which isn't historically accurate, but I think can be powerful. I mean, it's kind of what I occasionally use myself. So uh, again, you know, I'm just thrilled that people are using the book, frankly. <laughs> yeah, people love like your book. You would be very surprised to see uh, how deeply people feel about your books. I remember for like a year I was uh, uh, being asked because uh, they knew that uh, Tony was part of the theurgy uh, form when Hellenismus was coming back, coming out. And I heard all the private stories about how uh, one of uh, my students, her husband wanted to order it for her and it was in the catalog. And, uh, um, you know, like for a year it disappeared from the catalog. <laughs> so I got all these stories, but uh, these books are very important uh, to uh, people um, and not as crutches, but as um, kind of like exercise books almost. Um, like I tried uh, uh, Bruce's uh, philosophical system uh, and it, it was not easy. It was actually uh, quite uh, difficult at, at times. It was very worth the doing. Uh, and it's now joined my book of things to repeat like once a year. <laughs> so uh, I'll probably find like an abridged, uh, like I do with my Charles Atlas. I've been doing that for so long that now I've created my own version of it. So eventually when I'm, when I'm that familiar with the material, there'll be like an abridged version that I could repeat uh, once a year, once every second year to reinforce the things that uh, um, I learned while on it. And uh, when uh, I got the uncorrected proof for the uh, um, Orphic hymns, uh, we used a few of them in our uh, ceremonies and people were like really eager to see the book in uh, print. And uh, I saw it in their hands when the book had come out, they bought it, you know, they bought it very, very quickly. So, um, you know, Brandy's book, uh, Jean Louise's uh, book, you know, books, um, these are cherished books <laughs> and it's so great to see uh in my tradition we don't believe in like sacred writings we believe in like useful writings uh and all mm -hmm. of the things you guys have written are definitely useful and applicable and uh they'll help you ask questions and expand uh, your mind so i'm phenomenally honored uh, to be talking to you guys uh, as often as i do because i know that um i come away from the show with uh, great insight so thank you Well, that's very flattering. I, I appreciate hearing that because it's a tremendous amount of work. So it's nice to know that people appreciate it. Yeah, well, they do. Um, other than Hermes, which other uh, deities do you have an affinity for and, and do you work with? Um, I'll share a little bit with me. Of course, uh, 
Um, the Hercules of old and Athena and Zeus and Hera uh, play a very big part of uh, everything I do. Uh, but Aphrodite and uh, Hermes, um, as I've been growing older, have been playing an ever greater role in uh, my life. And uh, uh, I find that uh, much of the material that gets funneled my way and many of my synchronistic experiences uh, are as driven by them uh, as by the gods I've been working with my entire life. Tony? I've called on a lot of gods over the years. And, and as you know, you don't choose your gods, your gods choose you. And yes. the Greek god who comes to me most powerfully is Zeus. So I feel very a, cool. a, a very very a very a very close kinship with him. So out of out of all the Greek gods I, I feel closer to him than um than anyone else. There are a number of lesser deities that I have worked with as well. You know, I've worked with Pan and Nemesis and the Furies. Um, but Zeus is the one who stands out out of the um out of the Greek gods. I don't just limit myself to the Greek gods. I I work with a number of um of Egyptian gods as well and um and one of the Persian gods. But um out of the Hellenic pantheon it it it'd have to be Zeus. And again it's a case of I call them in. I, I feel all of them, but there are some that I develop a relationship with, some who who communicate with me, who resonate with me. And I, I think all of us have had the, 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 the same experience when we've called in gods, that some will resonate more powerfully with us than others. Yes, and at different times it changes too. Uh, and yes. sometimes they stay for a little while, and sometimes they, they, it seems like they're, they're going to stay <laughs> for the rest of the sojourn, you know. Uh, but uh, it, they are they're they're very much alive and they're they're very uh, approachable and uh, you you can communicate with them. Patrick, uh, I've always had a, a connection to Apollo, um, and I think uh, I think as you said, you know, it shifts, it changes according to circumstances, and uh, sometimes a god sort of makes themselves known, you know, um, in your consciousness, but. Apollo has kind of been a steady companion um, since college, uh, since before college. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm a published poet as well. Um, I oh, have awesome. a fondness for music. I actually took up uh, the piano um, when I turned 30. I took up the piano, and I've been practicing that for however many years it has been since I turned 30. And uh, I'm still not very good, but I kind of do it as a, active devotion to Apollo, you know, to, to make music and write music. And uh, so he, he's, he's an important God to me. Um, I mean, if, if I just look at my shrine, you know, and look at the statues on my shrine, there's, there's quite a number. Uh, you know, I've got uh, Athena, of course. I've got uh, uh, Artemis, Dionysus, obviously, Asclepius. Um, and I also, I also include gods of other pantheons as well. Um, Atum is on my shrine from the Egyptian pantheon, whom I, I kind of see as a representative of the concept of the one, you know, Helen. Um, so he's important to me. Um, uh, I've also done a lot of work with Janus, uh, the Roman god of doorways. And lately I've been doing extensive work with uh, Hakate uh, as sort of the, the world soul um, and, you know, goddess of passages. Um, 
and that that's been very productive. And I can't I can't go into a lot of details about it, but it that's been a very productive exercise. Uh, and I've been working on that since the beginning of the summer, um, daily practice with that. So, yeah, quite a number. And, and you know, as you said, occasionally, like when I'm out in California, Poseidon starts to figure much more in my devotions than when I'm out here in Chicago. So it depends on circumstances and location as well. Hecate has been a very big and supportive presence uh, in my life, especially as I've gotten older. Uh, but it's not that many strange experiences I had as a child and as a young man uh, were actually uh, Ekati. So uh, I, I appreciate uh, Ekati and all that she's done uh, profoundly. Uh, and mm-hmm. she's not like uh, what people conceive her as in pop culture. It's, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Ekati that I've experienced is very, very different. And I've met many people who have experienced Ekati if I've experienced her. Uh, and she's very attentive, and she's one of the uh, patron deities of theurgy. So uh, uh, my respect for her forever grows. Yeah, well, I think one of the reasons she has this sort of bad reputation is that she's sort of a goddess of everything, including <laughs> the, the bad things, which we try not to pretend are there. And so since she's a goddess of those two, suddenly those are the things she's the goddess of. And, you know, the the other two realms that she rules over get forgotten. <laughs> well, it, it, uh, Apollo and Artemis were very much in my uh, life when I was uh, teaching in uh, college and I was uh, working with human service programs uh, for obvious reasons. And they were, they, during my entire career uh, in those uh, particular fields, uh, Apollo and Artemis were continuously there. And then I uh, slowly left uh, those fields and they, they still come around, but not as much. Bruce. Um, boy, I'm thinking back um, over a lot of years here. I, one of the steady ones for me has certainly been Athena. I feel like she's been with me as really as long as I can remember. And she's still, I would have to consider her my, my uh, principal uh, patron. Um, a lot of the work I do now is with Apollo and with Hermes. Um, but um, it changes, as, as you've all noted. Uh, going back a couple decades, I was very much involved with Hakate and uh, Demeter, too. Um, also, a few decades ago, I was doing a lot of work for, for a number of years with Aphrodite and with Dionysus. Um, so they, you know, they, they kind of come and go, I, I find, you know, depending on where I am in my life and what I'm working on and, and what, you know, just what, what, what my interests and, and issues are. Um, but I also find, you know, especially when I'm involved in theurgy, that it, I make contact with a lot of deities um, or diamonds that, um, you know, I don't always ask their names, and their names are not always obvious. I can sometimes make conjectures, but um, or I may think or, or speculate that they're an aspect of a, of a more familiar deity. But uh, there's a lot of uh, more ad hoc types of, of deities that I, that I encounter that way. And they all come to me essentially in a, in a Greco-Roman kind of um, form, but um, they're, um, 
you know, I don't know what pantheon they're, they're from, really. Um, and so I find, you know, and then some lesser deities, too. Calliope I worked with for, for a while as well. Um, but I think, you know, it's uh, we sometimes can get a little bit too hung up on the identities of the deities. And, you know, there's a whole, if you like, technology as part of theurgy for, for trying to uh, target specific deities to establish contact with them. But sometimes I think you also just want to go in and, and say, okay, who's who needs to talk to me or who do I need to talk to? And uh, let them let them show up without without worrying about uh, who they may be. That's a, that's a very good point. And and sometimes it is hard to tell uh, who has sent an insight or um, put their fingers into an event to you know, where you could see that something is definitely moving circumstances, but it's not always clear uh, who it is. I usually just thank. Uh, uh, who I think they did, or and then you know, whoever might have done it if I've missed them. So uh, I acknowledge that uh, many times I, I don't know who uh, uh, intervened, uh, but I'm grateful for it. I've been um, told several times that humans tend to be too um, obsessed about names. Yes. <laughs> um, we're at the halfway point, and... Uh, um, how about we take a break for uh, a little bit over five minutes? Would that be okay with everybody? Sure. sure okay, fine. I'll put on Dave the Bard's Cauldron Born, and then we'll be back with our Theurgy Forum and our wonderful panelists, Tony Ruswicki, Patrick Dunn, and John Opsipaus, Bruce McLellan. Calls 
to the powers of earth, sea, and sky, of dragon and fairy and shades of the night. He calls to his ancestors of blood and bone, of womb and tomb and standing stone. Lady, stir your cauldron well, chant your words and sing your spell. Deep within this darkened hall, hear the goddess Kered when called. Of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. A charm of silver, the gypsy said when he was just seventeen. Your future I'll tell you. Every thread and turn is there to be seen. She took his hands tracing the lines, searching for patterns and looking for signs. Your life of construction one day you will see Through the illusion and into the dream Lady, stir your cauldron well Chant your words and sing your spell Deep within this darkened hall Hear the goddess Kered when called Come and taste of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. Goddess 
magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, you're Caridwen's children, the cauldron born. The cauldron born, cauldron born, with a cauldron born, cauldron born, with a cauldron born. Greetings and welcome back to Pride of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and we're going to start the second part of our Theurgy Forum. We have with us Tony Merswicki, Bruce McLennan, and Patrick Dunn. Awesome theurgists all. Greetings and welcome back from break. Hi, Hercules. Hello. Hello. I was thinking uh, during the break, um, how would you like theurgy to go forward into our world? Um, looking at the future of theurgy, we live in a time that's an information age, uh, an age of Hermes. So all this information uh, that was difficult to find, even when I was a kid, um, I remember the days when you had to hunt for occult books through used uh, uh, bookstores, uh, special ordering stores. You had to pay lots of money and wait months, if not years, <laughs> to get the book you're looking for. And now you can find very many translations of the Arbitel for free online. Uh, I never was able to find that when I was uh, younger, just references to it. So how would you like people to perceive theurgy, uh, let's say, within the next uh, two decades? Uh, Bruce, do you want to tackle that one first? Uh, sure. I guess what I would like to see is it to become a um, accepted uh, spiritual practice, which many people adopt, um, no matter uh, what their spiritual orientation or their religious background. You know, as analogy, um, mindfulness meditation has kind of gone mainstream. And that yeah. has, you know, it's positive and negative things. It gets kind of, uh, you know, trivialized that way too. But, but the the point is, I think that that mindfulness meditation has moved out of the, um, you know, uh, very specific sort of uh, Buddhist and other sorts of spiritual traditions. And um, you know, it's something that people can uh, say they're practicing it now, and and they won't um, be uh, looked at in a peculiar way. So I think uh, I would like to see CRG uh, uh, kind of, in a sense, go mainstream that same way. And I mean, that means, you know, to some extent we have to um, separate it a little bit from particular um, cultural trappings, such as such as uh, mm-hmm. Neoplatonism, and uh, basically be able to present the techniques in ways that um, um, can be, um, you know, adopted by, by many people. And, um, you know, I think... To some extent, this has been done in Jungian psychology because yeah. the Jungian practice of active imagination has a lot of similarities uh, to uh, theurgy. But even that's uh, kind of considered a peculiar sort of thing still. So, um, um, you know, I think the world would be a better place if uh, a larger fraction of the people in it were 
had some sort of regular theurgical practice. So that would be my my uh, vision for the future. I share that uh, vision, uh, and so I'll keep returning to it as we have our our monthly uh, talks, and hopefully we can come up with uh, uh, yeah. And active imagination is a great uh, uh, technique, and it's easy to learn. It's difficult to practice sometimes, so it's very easy to learn. Um, and uh, I think that would be a good thing. Uh, and there are enough. Uh, uh, techniques out there with like mental rehearsal and uh, uh, connecting with your spirit guides and, and things like that, where uh, right. active imagination could be reframed uh, along uh, the context that people are already familiar with, uh, but give it a more theurgic uh, uh, slant uh, where it's actually more representative of how theurgy does it. So thank you, Patrick. Um, I agree with that pretty much entirely, um, although I think uh, there's something to be said for keeping the philosophical foundations like Neoplatonism uh, connected to it. Um, I think one of the, the problems our culture has is, uh, is sort of a reliance on material monism, and some of those philosophical traditions give an, uh, a living option to, to that, you know, to saying there's more to, to reality than the merely physical world. Um, the mental world matters and it matters in a, a real sense because it is real or even more real than the physical world. Um, yes. So, but I, I, I don't think it has to be the traditional Neoplatonism. I think it can be a kind of rational realism. Uh, but I think that the big value of thergy is it doesn't just give a, a mystical connection or a mystical dimension to the religion, but it gives a living dimension to the philosophical foundation. And I think that's kind of what we lack in contemporary any you know even people who have a philosophy um don't people who walk around saying they're stoics that's very popular right now which is great yes uh, Tony brought that up a few times in the past yeah um but a lot of them aren't really you know stoicism comes with meditations it comes with contemplations and i'm not sure they're doing those you know and i think bringing that living element into the the, the philosophy, the schools of philosophy, we're all taught them as sort of disconnected schools of thought, but they were living things. I think that's one of the, the values of thergy outside of, you know, neo-paganism, where, you know, that's great. I'd love to see more pagans running around, but I mean, that's not my main goal. I have no interest in, you know, conversion. I think there's, there's a second thing that I'd like to say about the future of thergy and the future of paganism, um, which is a little dark, but I feel compelled to say it and that's that we need to start being even more vigilant against the uh, uh, sort of right-wing nationalistic uh, racialist sort of idea or racial ideas racist ideas that that have crept in to a lot of branches of paganism including Hellenism um, yeah I mean we have to make it very clear that they're not welcome and that they're not a part of this tradition because I could see that uh, as an attempt to hijack them, you know, the way that sort of right-wing elements have hijacked the rooms in a lot of ways. Um, uh, that would be a pity. So it's just something that's always on my mind these days because it seems more and more prevalent. That That is uh, very uh, powerful, and uh, that is uh, something that's been on my mind uh, as well. Um, and uh, when we had one of our, our Order of the Golden Fleece uh, um, meetings, 
that came through uh, Artemis and Apollo. This is one time that they were there, and they asked us to see what we could do about Hyperborea. Um, and uh, those are the type of uh, images that came into our head, you know, this uh, um, supremacy. Because, uh, again, I was raised uh, Greek, and that's, I keep saying that, but it's very important because it, it helped program me into who I am. And although I've outgrown many of the things that were programmed into me, I haven't uh, for all of them. And uh, Greeks are raised, uh, and it's become a cliche, and they make fun of it in movies, but literally you're descended from gods and uh, emperors and philosophers, and you brought the world the golden age, and it's in the past, but your experience is seen as coming from the past. So you're part of this uh, river and Elenismos actually means uh, um, cultural influence, Hellenic cultural influence. So it's turning the world Greek and you're, you're programmed uh, with that uh, at, at, since you're you know, born uh, and it's a very big part of uh, life. And you'll see it often uh, with uh, like older Greek women who are into movies and television. Uh, they'll continuously tell you who's Greek or who's married to a Greek. And so this is really deeply ingrained. And uh, when the Chrysia Vyi, uh, or the Golden Dawn, as it's known in English, um, they had contacted me at some point because I'm visible and, and I'm Greek. Uh, and uh, so I looked into what they were doing. And although... Uh, the parts of it that are objectionable were objectionable to me, so I wouldn't want to go down that path or help uh, support it. Uh, I could understand the appeal of it because they appealed to ancient images uh, that were very powerfully uh, entrenched in my psyche. So uh, when I watched their their stuff on YouTube, uh, I found it on some level phenomenally appealing, and then I realized how dangerous that was and how close to the Nazis uh, they seemed to be. So, but so yes, that is a very big concern, and the increase in um, white national-related uh, violence in our country has has grown significantly, and uh, we seem to be slipping into a time that I thought we had outgrown. Um, so yeah, those are very important things, and uh, uh, incidents of uh, the effect of these things keeps popping up. And I believe that we need to think about this as uh, people who are uh, promoting various uh, cultural ways. Would you like to see schools or orders or um, that people can like learn more about uh, what I, when I describe what I'm doing, it's like uh, the Charles Atlas uh, course, which I'm, I'm associated with them also. It's a way of getting from point A to point B. And uh, it's, it's about um, building muscles without using weights, uh, except for an occasional chair. That's the only piece of equipment that you need. So it will take you, if you do these exercises the way that they're you know, put down, uh, they will take you from a point A to a point B if you follow them you know, faithfully and, and actually do them. If you read about them, you'll know about them, but it won't take you anywhere. So that's the techniques that we, we play with and uh, that we use. It's the same thing. They'll take you from uh, where you are to a certain level of understanding um, and to certain perspectives if you, if you do them. Uh, and then every time we run them, and I've been very fortunate uh, because in Branchville, I've had folks now for a couple of years. So uh, we all tweak everything and play with it and uh, until we find a way that works for us uh, collectively. And then it's understood that everybody will have their own individual ways of doing things that work for them as individuals. But um, would you like to see that type of thing? Because uh, th there is uh, – some people are – 
attracted to the culture. Like most people started coming from Branchville, started coming to my workshops because they dealt with uh, uh, Olympianism. And that was something that they weren't getting from anywhere else. So they were curious and they came and then they stayed. Uh, and even though now we're, we've crossed into Egypt and into the Celtic realms and Africa and into the ancient Near East and into the uh, northern countries, and we've incorporated that into our living uh, theurgy, uh, the initial appeal was the uh, um, Greco-Roman um, and to some extent Egyptian material. And uh, I've asked several times if they wanted to change things down and make it more universalist and the uh, answer from everybody was no, because the Greco-Roman is powerful and, and it, it resonates with them. So, yeah, it's good that we understand that uh, the Greeks don't have all the answers and this is the only way to approach it, that there are other ways of approaching it through other cultures. Um, we're, we're creating our exercise program. The theurgy one is uh, is pretty much set. That's been run several times, and we've played with it extensively, and now it works for us. And now we're going to start experimenting with the uh, Greco-Roman magical papyri and, and for a few years and see where that takes us until we've been able to, uh, to set the exercise program. So uh, it's not to convert anybody. It's just it's, it's, it's approaching that spirit. But do you think there's more of that needed uh, regardless of the culture, so people can experience what this is all about, um, or have uh, do ceremonies uh, in public like uh, Tony does. Do that more. I, I like those sorts of things, um, particularly when you know what you describe is kind of grassroots and um, not top down. I, I I have an aversion to sort of the old fashioned twentieth century orders like the the Golden Dawn, the, the Magical Order, not the um, um, not the political movement. Um, aversion is maybe a strong word. I just don't play well with others. So being told, <laughs> wear, this hat, wear this hat, carry this wand. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess if I have to. Um, I, you know, every every semester I have to dress up in academic regalia, and that, that feels like enough of a ceremony for me. Uh, but that's me, and I, I know other people like that sort of thing and also find a lot of meaning and significance in it spiritually, so I wouldn't you know, say people have to be me. Um, I do think there's a danger in having a lot of magical orders and so forth or mystical orders in that there's a tendency for them to fight and you know, exclude and that sort of stuff. I think is about as far from thergy as you can get, uh, you mm-hmm. know, the drama of such things. But but yeah, I, I would love to see more schools, more, more small groups working together, you know, in coffee shops is kind of my ideal. Um, but that is probably because that's my personality. I like small groups working together in coffee shops. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And, uh, we will return to it on, on another show. Um, t- Tony. Gosh, there's a lot of material that's just been covered, but I think that the um, approaches suggested by Bruce and by Patrick aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. So to um, talk about Bruce's ideas initially, I was going to mention that a few months ago there was a really cute cartoon going around online that portrayed a sorcerer sitting by his laptop transforming a medieval grimoire into memes. Because the point is that the, the point is that no one's looking at, at medieval texts anymore or translations of medieval texts. They want things in an easy to digest form. So memes. So the idea that, that Bruce had of 
of um, not necessarily not necessarily dumbing things down. I don't like that expression, but simplifying them has great merit. And in previous months, we've actually talked about yes. the overlaps between theurgy and other spiritual practices. So people have actually been touching on theurgic practices without knowing it. So I think that you can have 101 level theurgy to give people a taste of what theurgy is all about. And then for those who want to go further, who want to fully immerse themselves in theurgy, as Patrick pointed out, it would be important to show them the philosophical underpinnings of theurgy, teach them about Neoplatonism and the like, in order so that they can fully understand what they're doing. The other point that Patrick touched on, which is incredibly important, is the um, um, the nasty influence of, of right-wingers on various religious practices. And heathenry in particular has been targeted by right-wingers who have appropriated um, runes and various um, um, Norse symbology as part of their, their white supremacist doctrines. And as both you, Hercules, and Patrick have pointed out, there are movements in Greece where there are various Hellenists who believe that, um, that the Hellenic religion should only be practiced by those people who have Greek blood. For me, that is a judgment call that's not up to any of us. It's extremely mm -hmm. arrogant for us to decide who is worthy of, of worshipping the gods because as, as those who work with the gods know, we don't get to choose our gods. Our gods choose us. So it's not our place to tell people, well, you can't work with the gods because you're not white enough. If you, feel, if you are called by the gods genuinely, you have a right to work with them regardless of your background. So I think that there is great scope for having introductory 101 level theurgy. And I think that Brandy's book um, could actually be used to put together a course like that. She's made theurgy very accessible. Yes, sir. And there are, other, there are other texts out there that are, that are far more complex. So for those who want to go um, the extra mile, they can, they can fully immerse themselves in Neoplatonism and the like. But um, this has been a great discussion. We're covering so much ground. Yes, I know, and uh, I'm I, I'm very appreciative because uh, this is very meaty and very uh, uh, thought provoking, and uh, uh, it'll lead to to more uh, questions. So, what you're saying is that we should have like a 101 uh, that that contains like basic knowledge, and then more strenuous uh, courses for uh, and Bruce's. Uh, uh, book on Hipatia is, uh, is an example of what such a course would be like. Exactly. Uh, and another thing, and another thing that I'd like to yeah, and another thing that I concluded is parallels between theurgy and other spiritual practices so that people see that what they're doing in theurgy isn't that different to what they've been doing in, in various other practices. So it, it's not alien. There's a familiarity to it. And it's true that the, the ancients understood that the uh, gods wore different masks in different uh, cultures. Um, yes. I forget who wrote the tale uh, down, but uh, when Typhon invaded uh, Olympus, the Greek gods fled to Egypt and, and they wore animal masks. 
Uh, and then uh, there are uh, the ancients understood things that way, and they, and they had the interpretatio where wherever they went, they tried to build these bridges of whose god is wearing what mask in this culture to you know, to re- to start relating and start building uh, communication and uh, and understanding. So uh, uh, that is an approach, and I might have shared it here or shared it elsewhere recently. But uh, when I worked in rehabilitation. Um, I went to one of the cases that they had assigned me and was greeted uh, wonderfully. I was wearing at the time a Thor's hammer with red and white beads. So the person who uh, uh, opened the door and seemed very grateful that I was there and worked with me so wonderfully, uh, she was, I I always would get people that other people found difficult to work with. So um, anyway, um, but she, she was awesome. And it turned out later uh, when I got to know her and we were talking uh, that uh, she was having a very difficult uh, time with uh, her rehabilitation. So she prayed to Shango and uh, who shows up the next day sent by the uh, rehabilitation company for me. And I'm wearing red and white and a, and a hammer, uh, which is like one of Shango's uh, axes. So I, di- I didn't know anything about uh, the Afro-Caribbean culture at the time. I learned that became my portal for learning uh, but, uh, you know, obviously what it meant to me wasn't what it meant to her, but it was exactly what she asked for and she got a sign for it. Uh, so it, it shows how powerfully those uh, masks uh, are and how they help with communication. Now, um, I was just, just going to say that Herodotus was um, um, heavily into claiming that everything that the Greeks had in their religion had, had come from the Egyptians. And, and as you rightly pointed out, whenever, whenever the Greeks traveled anywhere, they would always see the gods of the countries that they visited through the lens of their own gods. So they were basically working with archetypes. Yes. Which are much more than just a concept. Uh, it, it's a it's a reality, uh, and uh, that's one of the avenues that, that will take you there. The, the gods are very generous in allowing for very many ways of approaching them. Uh, one of the things that uh, I get criticized about uh, a lot is uh, that uh, I've sought the gods through the ancient astronauts. Uh, um, way of looking at things. And I found them there too. So uh, it's a valid path. It might not be a traditional one. It might not be a Hellenic one, uh, but if you're looking uh, for the gods through a particular way of understanding, that way will take you there. And then you'll discover that they're much more than what that way of looking at them uh, uh, is telling you. And then you explore other avenues. But uh, um, have you used any other non-theurgic approaches like that uh, to seek the gods, either in your personal practice or in your teachings or your workshops? Um, well, in the past, I worked with um, more conventional ceremonial magic. I worked with the Golden Dawn system. I've worked with polemic magic. And I've also worked with chaos magic. And I found all those symptoms to be, or all those systems to be, to be effective. Um, but it's a matter of finding what resonates with you. There should be this feeling of coming home and working with the, the ancient gods and the gods of, of late antiquity just feels right to me. It's it's what I feel like I should be doing, whether it's a past life connection or, or not, I don't know, but it's just some something that I resonate with. 
and again, like you said, it doesn't really matter how you get how you get there. It, it's it's a matter of getting there. So you may have um, gone down the ancient astronaut route. Um, I worked more with um, contemporary ceremonial magic and chaos magic, but ultimately we, we got to the same place. Thank you. Very well said, um, Patrick. Um, my, I'm just going to repeat that. Basically, I, I was uh, very um, active in ceremonial magic uh, or ritual magic um, uh, when I was a teenager, as a lot of teenagers are. Um, I never grew out of it, of course. Um, <laughs> and then I did, I did, you know, in the 90s, as one does, I, I got into chaos magic. And um, and then, but there was always, you know, the the Hellenic gods, the surgic practices were always kind of there in the background. Although it wasn't until later, you know, after I got an education and started reading, you know, some of the original sources, that I realized, oh, there's a whole system here that that is complete enough to work. You know, we're missing some stuff like, you know, who know who knows what Plotinus's meditations looked like, um, but we can figure it out. We have close enough analogs from the Stoics and so forth. So, uh, uh, yeah, so that, that's when I discovered, okay, there's an actual system here. And, you know, I still, I wouldn't say I, I do chaos magic per se anymore. I, I certainly don't subscribe to all the philosophies of chaos magic, but I would say that there's a little bit of, uh, well, here, here's a piece of chalk and some string. Let's figure out a ritual to my practice you know, to this day from that. So I think sometimes those non-thergic origins enrich our thergy later because they give us a set of tools that we wouldn't have otherwise. You know, there's a lot of improvisations. And then there's, you know, in, in ceremonial magic, there's a lot of, you know, getting things right, um, getting things in the right places and, and planning ahead. And those are skills that it can be very useful in, you know, more traditional thergy as well. So, I think it's not even so much, you know, we end up here. It's that the, the journey itself has given us new tools when we do end up here that we can continue to use. In life as well as in uh, any type of uh, spiritual practice. Absolutely. And Bruce? Well, I can pretty much um, echo what, what Tony and Patrick have said. Um, I, I've, personally have um, pretty much stayed within the the uh, Greek pantheon. It, it is the pantheon that speaks to me. And um, I get, I feel like, and, and I'm sure Patrick could probably make a better, better analogy than this, but I, but in many ways, I think these systems, you know, we, they come with a worldview and they come with a uh, philosophy and it is important, I think, to have a, a coherent worldview and philosophy for any of these things to work well. And so it's kind of like your, your uh, native language. Uh, you can borrow words from other languages. You may drop in a phrase now and again, but we don't, you know, just uh, typically mix up whole paragraphs in, in, in our speech. So I think um, I find it easier to mostly focus my attention just within one tradition. And so uh, for me, that's been really just the uh, the uh, the long tradition of, of Greece going back um, into uh, Greek prehistory 
and then on into uh, into Renaissance Europe too, um, which I see as a just as a long tradition. And um, certainly, I look at other traditions um, to fill in gaps, to get ideas, to get additional insights. Uh, but I don't, except in you know relatively minor ways, uh, um, use those techniques usually. Um, and that's really just because I kind of feel like I found my my home in in uh, the Greek tradition, and and um, um, I'd rather focus my attention and my time in that than than on uh, too many other things. Although I mean, you know, I've done the ceremonial magic, and, and I found a lot of insights actually from Tibetan Buddhism. I think I've mentioned that before, yes. uh, but I don't practice as a Tibetan Buddhist. But uh, I continue to get. Uh, enormous insights of, of, of all sorts from, from that tradition. Um, also Taoism, I get, I've got a lot of insights from Taoism as well. So, so those are quite, quite different traditions. And again, I think underneath really there's, they're very much the same, but that whole cultural language we use for thinking about and addressing and articulating our thoughts about, um, uh, the world we're working in, I think, is very important. And so um, uh, I do think that that's something that needs to be to be conveyed. So, again, you know, ancient astronauts, sure, why not? Um, the only criticism I might have is might perhaps not as deep a tradition. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't see any reason why that can't work as well. Um, and you know some of the others that have been uh, uh, have emerged over the years too. But I do like the old ones that have those centuries and centuries and often millennia of human experience uh, behind them. I think they are in many cases more likely to to really go back to the archetypal roots of uh, of these traditions. That's a very good uh, point. Um, and uh, in terms of the more modern things, Brandy had brought up last time she was on, and we'll devote more time to it when Brandy is uh, here with us. Uh, but uh, she had asked uh, at one point when she was on the show um, about uh, the uh, um, mythical in uh, popular culture. So uh, I like uh, the mythical in popular culture uh, in Marvel comic books, in uh, video games, yeah, and on my Voice of Olympus show. Uh, we explore all those different ways that the uh, mythical material lives on in our in our culture, through our popular culture uh, especially. Um, although we do touch uh, upon the Jungian archetypes uh, of transpersonal psychology and, and so forth. Um, what are your feelings about uh, the mythic in popular uh, culture? Tony, you want to start that one? Um, myth touches a very deep substrata within ourselves. And you'll find that the most powerful stories that we have tend to touch on either myth or things that are heavily rooted in myth. So, for instance, when you look at the writings of Joseph Campbell, he delves into the essence of myth. And it's actually the writings of Joseph Campbell that were referenced in Star Wars. Yeah. And the reason why the Star Wars saga works so well is because it takes all these commonalities out of various myths. Um, 
Bruce has pointed out that um, that when you have a particular system that's been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years, it develops a particular power to it. And myths have been told and retold. They become more and more powerful as time's gone on. So to have something like Star Wars that's, that's based um, indirectly on ancient myths makes it incredibly powerful. And they're movies that are going to be watched for decades to come. They're, they're not going to age. The, the special effects might start to look a little bit cheesy after a while, but people will still be able to resonate with the stories. I, I think that there's, um, there's a great argument for, for tapping into ancient myths in order to come up with stories that are powerful. And the function of myths is not just to entertain, but to educate. Right. And that's incredibly important. It is, and we're, we're, we're blessed to be able to see the rise of global mythologies through these franchises, through uh, Star Wars, through the MCU, and uh, through other. Uh, these are tales that are spreading globally uh, in a very short period of time, where it might have taken hundreds, if not thousands of years uh, before for cultural diffusion. Uh, now with the information age and Hermes, they, they become instant. These uh, uh, stories are now recognized by anybody on the planet. Patrick? Uh, well, uh, this idea that, you know, uh, Tony just mentioned of uh, uh, Campbell's sort of like monomyth, this idea that there's, there's mm-hmm. basically one story. Um, Vladimir Prop, he's a Soviet folklorist, um, early 20th century. He published uh, a study of uh, Russian fairy tales and folk tales. And what he discovered is they all had essentially the same exact structure. And you could follow through these fairy tales. And, you know, at some point someone would show up and give someone a gift. At some point, you know, someone would, be mis- would, would not be recognized for who they are. You know, and when we look at Homer, these same themes show up in Homer, not quite as neatly as they do in Russian folk tales. But um, uh, so the idea is there's like a, a, an underlying structure to storytelling as a whole. And so to, to tell a story in popular culture, whether it be, you know, a movie or whatever, you have to almost tap into this mythological structure underneath storytelling itself. Now, structuralism has kind of fallen out of favor in academia, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm holding out for it to come back. Uh, because I think I think it it gets to the central truth, which is, you know, as uh, I think it was Robert Graves said in one of his poems, "There's one story and one story only that will prove worth your telling." <laughs> so it's like there's there's one story, and it is the story of all mythology. You know, we forget that myth. What we think of as myth is sort of a monolithic collection of stories. Some of it was just popular culture. You know, I don't take Ovid all that seriously, um, because Ovid was just kind of writing to tell some stories. Uh, you know, I take Homer a little more seriously, but also with the awareness that Homer was also entertainment, you know, to, to some extent. But also, you know, uh, didactic. But our stories, our popular culture is also didactic. You know, there, there are, you watch sitcoms and there's a little moral at the end about family or togetherness or whatever. Um, or sometimes an anti-moral. You know, I think of Seinfeld, uh, it's not no hugging, no lessons, but that in itself is didactic. That's telling us life is meaningless. You know, we can throw our hands up and run around. 
Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it's possible for popular culture not to touch on myth because I think myth and the storytelling of popular culture are both tapping into an underlying sort of structure of story that's essential to our consciousness. Well, thank you. And I, I'm going to look up that Russian folklore. So his name is Prop, P-R-O-P-P? Prop, P-R-O-P-P. Yeah, Vladimir Prop. Okay. I'm familiar with Joseph Campbell, but I, I'm not familiar with him. So I will seek uh, him out. And uh, that sounds fascinating. Um, Bruce? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think, you know, the, one of the reasons these, these myths are so speak so loudly to us is they're not just the sort of the universal story uh, or the, or the, the hero's journey and all of that, but it's really the story of, of human psychological development. So, you know, this is in some sense, all of our stories. And so we're identifying that when we hear these stories, when we, when we uh, um, tell these stories. And I think it really goes to, really down to our life. You know, it's our, the life we're living. And um, so, you know, th- that's the reason I think the stories that in our contemporary time that really speak to us have that same, that same fundamental structure to it. And we're resonating with that. Um, I do worry a little bit. I mean, I think there's always sources of new mythology, but I do think that true mythology has to be inspired it has to come from the gods. So if somebody sits down to just simply craft a story, if it, can, if, it, if it can even be done without inspiration, but if it were done, if you imagine it being done in a purely mechanical way, I don't think that could produce a myth. I think that historically all of the myths and all of the literature that we think of as mythic, and I would include you know, the Star Wars uh, films in that, um, it's because um, either consciously or often unconsciously, people are inspired by the muses, if you would like, or the gods uh, to uh, tell a story that has this kind of um, this kind of deep meaning for us. And um, so I, I, you know, I certainly uh, keep retelling the old stories; they're they're still good, and and then certainly, um, you know, revisioning them. Uh, in an inspired way. And again, you want to talk about theurgy. Why is theurgy important? I think theurgy is essential for creative artists. And, um, you know, I think you hear from many creative artists that they're doing a kind of theurgy, but they're not really aware that that's what they're doing. They have their little rituals, um, they have their, their techniques that have worked, their special places, their, maybe their little ceremonies and things like that that they found uh, help them to be creative. Um, but in, in most cases, I don't think they're, are they aware that they're actually doing theurgy. Um, and um, perhaps, perhaps they're just not willing to admit it. But I, but I think that, um, you know, to create new myths, you need to do theurgy. You need to invite the gods to uh, to give you that inspiration. Good point. And in the artist's way, I don't remember the name of the person who wrote it. Um, her 12-week... Julia uh, Cameron. Yes, uh, is very theurgic in uh, some of its uh, techniques and uh, some of its phraseology. 
Yeah, great example. Um, have any of you guys tried that uh, program? No? Um, it, basically, no. it's a 12-week uh, program designed to remove what's blocking you from uh, expressing yourself uh, creatively. Um, and uh, if you've done a lot of work on yourself, a, a chunk of the book, you know, you won't have to do it again because you've already done it uh, elsewhere. Uh, but I was very surprised at how many blockages I, I still found inside myself that I was solely oblivious to. So uh, it was helpful. Um, I finished it in eight rather than uh, 12 weeks because, again, I've worked on a lot of uh, this stuff before, uh, and I found it phenomenally uh, useful. And I'm going to be rereading it again uh, soon, although I won't be doing the 12 weeks again or eight weeks till, uh, uh, till next year. Uh, but it's a really good system for, again, getting from point A to point B. And she seems to have made a career out of what she wrote in the book uh, because she's written several other books that are basically uh, reiterations of her first book. So, uh, th- yeah, that's a territory that she is your guide and, and takes you through. And she's been doing it for a long time and she's been able to polish it up uh, because of all the times uh, she's run it. And uh, uh, so that's on my recommended reading list as well. Who is the author again? Bruce, who's the author again? It's, I believe it's Julia Cameron. That sounds that right. Sound right, Tony. Yeah. Excellent. I I teach a class in creativity, so that might be you might have just saved me some work in finding a text for that class. <laughs> right. And uh, um, how about a system like that uh, for uh, instead of just having theurgic elements that aren't really tied to theurgy, how about coming up with a system of creativity like uh, Patrick's doing and make that more theurgic and still mainstream it. Uh, but instead of using the Judeo-Christian uh, uh, type of uh, symbolism that she uh, taps into, even though she says that your concept of the divine might be different, uh, she used what she was raised in. Um, th- that might be a way of uh, uh, making it more mainstream and still uh, having it be theurgic. I think that could be done. Uh, you know, again, uh, you can, uh, uh, you know, light some incense, light a candle, uh, put on not necessarily ceremonial robes, but a special shirt or something and, and go to a special place and, uh, and then ev- invoke whoever you please, you know, uh, whether it's just, whether it's an unnamed muse, whether it's, um, you know, God or, you know, whoever, um, and, um, you know, and then, um, basically uh, uh, allow that inspiration to arrive. I think, you know, that it would it would be relatively easy to craft rituals that would fit into most uh, spiritual traditions um, and even can be presented to um, agnostics and atheists as basically a psychological technique that they don't mm-hmm. have to really... Um, you know, they can suspend disbelief for a little while just because it works and uh, it can be made uh, acceptable to, to them as well. That certainly sounds uh, viable. Um, what is your class about, uh, Patrick? Uh, how are you going to approach creativity? Well, especially a class I've taught several times, but I like to mix the books up a lot. And it's, it's 
Uh, I don't bring Sergi into it because it's part of my job to teach the class. Okay. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's um, for example, we read um, Victor Frankl's uh, uh, Man's Search for Meaning in that yes. class. And we talk a lot about um, uh, mindsets and growth and fixed mindsets. And um, I'm getting into some mindfulness stuff this time around. Uh, I have taught, in the past, I've taught Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, but uh, some of my students pointed out, he's surprisingly sexist. And, you know, looking at it again, I was like, he kind of is, yeah. So I, I set him aside as sort of a product of his time, even though his time was part overlaps my time. But um, I, set, I set him aside to, to think about him a little bit and see maybe if there's something a little less problematic I can assign from him. Um, but, uh, yeah. And also, uh, yeah, students didn't really resonate with him as much as with the other books, but this sounds like something I could do, you know, and I could maybe, you know, if it has a religious element, I can kind of, uh, tone it down a little in the class, or maybe I could just read it and steal some ideas. I'm not above that for, for teaching and say pedagogy is theft. So (laughs) I've been a teacher too, uh, as uh, has everybody here. And uh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, our journey is almost coming to an end tonight. And I want to leave enough time at the end so that uh, everybody can uh, promote the things uh, that they're doing. But I, I had a very quick question, and it'll just require a few words of answer. Um, what I've started to do is I've started uh, through the vehicles that I have uh, honoring the theurgists, namely uh, you guys, uh, whose works I consider uh, essential um, in basically understanding theurgy and developing some sort of uh, individual uh, or group theurgic uh, practice. And uh, so um, in turn, once a week, I honor somebody uh, and it includes some like a theosophist and a couple of other people who don't really consider themselves uh, theurgists, but I do use their works uh, in the theurgy uh, uh, classes and they're, they're, they're aware of that. So uh, I focus uh, on pretty much what I do for the announcement for the show, except I'll add many more links. So everyone gets a turn to be honored every six or seven uh, weeks or so. Um, th- does that work for everybody? You're next, by the way, Patrick. Uh, but Bruce and oh. uh, you've been honored several times. So is, is that yes. good for you? Thank you. Yeah, that's excellent. Okay, awesome. So we'll continue doing that. Um, uh, do you think th- you'd um, be interested Hercules. in Yes. Hercules, um, we, we've almost run out of time. I just wanted to, to go off on a tangent. There's something really sure. important happening tomorrow. Um, okay. That, you know, we've been, we've been getting into activism, and in particular, we've been looking at climate change. We're looking at one of the largest environmental protests in history taking place tomorrow. Um, We've probably all heard of 16-year-old Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg. She'll be leading a demonstration at Foley Square, and it's starting at noon tomorrow in New York City. And it's going to be followed by a rally and a march to Battery Park. The 1.1 million students in the city's public schools have been excused to join the strike. So you're looking at 1.1 million students in New York alone plus whoever else turns up. And there are going to be parallel strikes in D.C., Boston, Seattle, Minneapolis, Miami, Los Angeles, and possibly Denver. So that's just in the U.S. All up, there are going to be 2,500 events 
scheduled in over 150 countries. So this is going to be truly a global event, and it's likely to be one of the largest environmental protests in history. So wow. I would suggest that all of us, if we cannot be there to join with the protesters, to at least call on the gods of our choice to work with the to, to help the protesters and also to channel the energies that they're raising. We're talking millions and millions of people around the world, and all of them are going to be working at noon in their particular time zone. This is going to be absolutely huge, and I think it's a wonderful opportunity to work with some serious energies and use them to, um, to a good end. This is something that could really affect the planet. And, um, and one of the things that really touches my heart about this is it's basically older white men who right-wingers usually who are raping the environment for quick profit and they're not caring about the state of the planet that they're going to leave for future generations. So here you've got school kids rising up and saying, no, we want to have a decent planet to, for us to inherit. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, and we've run out of time, but there was a really cool article that I could recommend to people. It's in a, um, an online publication called The New Republic. And it talks about how much right-wing men hate Greta Thunberg, and also Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. And it's not so much that they're, um, um, because they're targeting environmental issues, but because they feel like their um, uh, modern industrial society and dominated by their form of masculinity is being threatened. So there's a sense of group identity of them being under threat and that climate activism is a challenge to their way of life. So the the primarily male reactionaries are motivated by right-wing nationalism, anti-feminism, and climate denialism. So these increasingly overlap, and the three reactions feed off one another. So, I mean, that article is well worth reading because we're all familiar with the idea of goddess spirituality being tied in with the environment. And here's a, a clear illustration of, of two women who are rising up to try to help the environment and they're being attacked by by right wing white males. Anyway, I just I just wanted to put that out that we've almost run out of time. I will look on your page and I will share uh, some of this information on my uh, timeline. Uh, I'm already committed for that time, so uh, I will post information and raise awareness of the people that I come in contact with tomorrow. Um, aside from the Llewellyn website and Amazon, what's the best way to get in touch with you, Tony? Uh, at, at the moment, Facebook, I'm, I'm still having issues with my website. So just, just Facebook's the best way to do it. Fantastic. Uh, Patrick, uh, aside from uh, Facebook and Llewellyn what, and Amazon, what is the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, to be honest, Facebook is probably the best way for me to. Um, I don't really have an author's page aside from that. Uh, Okay, thank you. And Bruce, uh, it, I, I should have sent you an email, but uh, I posted on Facebook and said, so my apologies for uh, the fact that you oh, didn't get okay. the email. <laughs> right. um, what is the best way to reach you uh, aside from, again, Facebook, uh, Llewellyn, and Amazon? Uh, the best way would be my two websites. One is wisdomofhypatia.com, uh, Hypatia as H Y P A T I A. And that's all spelled as one word. And the other is opsopeus.com. And that's O P 
S-O-P-A-U-S.com. So you can uh, email me from there uh, or see all the material I have online. Um, Bruce, I wanted to apologize for not opening your email sooner. I only just opened it about an hour before the show to find out that you didn't know whether it was on or not. So I wish I'd gotten on to it earlier, but I'm so glad you've been here with us. It worked, worked out fine, so that's okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, it did. This, this was awesome, and I'm very happy that uh, Patrick uh, joined us, and I'm looking forward yes. to Patrick's uh, joining us again because uh, uh, you offered uh, very many keen insights, and uh, uh, you have a sense of humor <laughs> that uh, <laughs> I, I find well, uh, compelling. Um, so we're gonna get. I'm gonna send out a notice to everybody. Uh, Patrick, I don't have your uh, email, so if you PM it to me, I'll I'll send it to you on Facebook and by email to everybody this this uh, uh, time. Where I'll again, I'll I'll write down all the dates for the rest of the year, and I will also ask people whether they want to do a forum, whether they want to do a focus on. Um, themselves or whether they want to um, have people uh, call in to ask about the book or whether uh, they want to talk about theurgic activism or any other uh, topic. Uh, So we'll start a system and I'll send it out twice a month uh, and I'll send it out both on Facebook and email. So hopefully everybody will get it uh, in time. So again, I apologize for the miscommunication and I want to thank you all for being on the uh, show tonight. Um, We have uh, three minutes. Uh, If everyone could just uh, leave a word of wisdom with our audience, that would be greatly appreciated. And we'll start with Patrick since uh, it's his first time here. Uh, I think my word of wisdom would just try to be kind. That's that's what we need right now is just be kind. That's the best act of surgery you can commit right now. Thank you very much, Bruce. I'll just take a slight spin off of uh, Patrick's and say, have compassion. Very, very important. And Tony? And I'm going to borrow from Bill and Ted's excellent adventure and say be excellent to each <laughs> other. <laughs> so thank you for your blessings and your sage advice and uh, for all the wisdom that uh, you've shared uh, today. Uh, and thanks to all who've joined us from home or will be joining us from home because uh, the show's available on demand in another 15 minutes or so. Uh, until next time, joyous journeys and awesome adventures. Uh, this is uh, the Theurgy Bunch. Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world. One filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.